Right. Well, good morning, everyone. I am indeed Wes. Um, I am the REF campus minister up at Colorado State. If you don't know what REF is, it's the campus ministry of the PCA, which just means that this church and its presbytery decided we, we care about that school, and we're going to send a pastor there to, to lead a campus ministry there. And so in a few days, but definitely in a week, I will be handing out lots of cup noodles and popsicles and having a lot of the same conversations over and over and over again. But it is a wonderful place for, for me and my family to be. We have four kids. Um, this, is, this will be our 11th year in RUF, um, but this is really just kind of our second year at Colorado State. I was at Kennesaw State before that, and it's because of that that I know uh, Michael and Chelsea. So I'm super excited to get to be here with y'all and just tell you y'all did a great job. That was a great hire. I'm really excited. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Uh, I remember when Michael called me at some point in this process uh, with y'all, and I was just like, man, this would be such a win for our, our presbytery. Like, I just want to have Michael close again. Um, so, so really excited to be here with y'all this morning. Um, I want to begin our time together, since you don't know me that well, just sharing a story of shame. Um, that's a great way to get to know people, right? So uh, last fall, I hadn't, hadn't been here very long, and uh, because I have four kids and because I live in Colorado where you have to have hobbies, and I like hobbies, and that's probably why we're in Colorado now, uh, I have slowly killed a lot of my old interests, like team sports, uh, don't really have time to watch those very often anymore. But this past fall, I, I realized I hadn't watched football in probably several years, and so I was like, I'm going to ask my boys to come watch this game with me, and I'm going to have this traditional American moment. Um, and so they came, and <laughs> they sat down, and they started asking you know, lots of questions, like, what are they doing? <laughs> why, are, why are they doing that? You know, what are those little dots at the bottom, the timeout dots? What are those for? Is that how they win? And like, waves of shame came crashing over me. I spent most of my life in the southeast, which means this was one of my main measures of my success as a father. Um, and I was like, man, don't y'all see what's happening? And I'd, I'd start to explain something. I'd be like, that's a first down. They'd be like, how many are there? And uh, yeah, so we didn't watch very long. Turn that off. That was not the moment. I thought it was going to be. But you can probably see in that story that the issue wasn't, um, it wasn't like, oh, why didn't you just replay the game for the, them? Why didn't you just kind of rewind as we can do with our amazing technology? It wasn't that they weren't seeing the game, right? It was like they didn't have any category for interpreting it. They didn't know how the game was played, what the actual goal was. Um, they were clueless, and I realized it probably wasn't worth the effort in that moment. Um, and I bring up that story of shame because as we come to this passage, this is a passage I love. It's a passage I've gone to over the years with students. Um, I think it's a beautiful place to go with doubt, not just for someone who's not sure about Christianity for the first time, and if you're one of those people here this morning, thank you for being here. We're honored to have you with us. Um, but also for those who've maybe grown up in the church, been in the church a long time, because doubt is such a big part of the Christian life and our experience, especially when we encounter suffering and trials like these disciples were encountering at this moment. Um, but their problem, I'm going to argue, as we look at this passage together, wasn't one of facts or details. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to join me in, in giving them a grade on how they do in recounting Jesus' story. And I, I'm going to argue that it was a, we probably should give them a pretty good grade. Instead, they have issues in terms of what the Savior is actually supposed to look like. 
they have some categories um, that this suffering Savior who dies on a cross at the hands of their religious leaders just doesn't really fit into. And so we're going to see them losing hope. Um, and I think one of the things that Luke wants us to see in this passage, and it's, I think why he gives us so much detail with this interaction, is that in order for us to really see the good news of the gospel and see Jesus for all of his, his beauty and his grace and his goodness, we have to believe God's word about Jesus. Um, and a lot of times that's going to mean repenting of our beliefs about what a savior should look like, what the good life should look like, um, and, and, and realize that, that, that the savior that God offers to us in his word is a better savior than you and I can fashion. Um, and that's where the good news is found in the gospel. And so as we look at this passage together this morning, I'm going to encourage you, um, as we look at this first passage, that we need to, to repent of our misconceptions. We need to repent of our misconceptions. Um, as you look at what's happening here, one, uh, I just love the way the story starts where Jesus meets these doubting disciples. And I would argue that it, this is a, a small miracle on the scale of Jesus' miracles. There's probably lots of miracles we would put ahead of this. Um, but I think Luke wants us to see that they are, they are being supernaturally kept from recognizing him. Verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Right, so Jesus shows up and encounters these disciples, and he immediately wants to engage them in a way where they don't know that he's Jesus. And that should immediately jump out to us, right? Uh, on first read, we might say, okay, they're struggling with doubt. They just they need some more information about Jesus and what's happened. He, he's risen from the dead. This is one of the points in the story where we might say, well, wouldn't Jesus just revealing that he is alive solve their problem? Uh end of story, next story. <laughs> uh, but Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, look, I'm alive. He actually keeps them from recognizing him, which should immediately kind of cause us to say, well, what's, what's the actual issue here then? If it's, if it's not just simply solved by the fact of Jesus' resurrection, what's the issue? Um, but Jesus engages them in this conversation, and we need to recognize that these disciples were probably full of doubts and fears. Their leader has just been murdered, and we're told by Luke that they, they are going away from Jerusalem. They, they've probably connected the dots and said, it's not safe for us to be here anymore. We, we need to find another place. We need to get out of Dodge. Um, and so Jesus in, engages them. They're probably full of doubt and fear, and that's further confirmed later on as they're recounting their story when uh, uh, Cleopas uses that language, we had hoped. Right? Their story is a story of hope lost. Um, their story is a story of, of fear and suffering and sadness. And so Jesus, in his concealed state, uh, and it's okay sometimes to laugh and smile at Scripture. Like I can almost imagine him just kind of <laughs> laughing as they rebuke him, right? Are you the only, have you been living under a rock? Do you not know what's happened in Jerusalem? <laughs> he's like, oh, I, I know what happened, right? But he loves them, and he's, he's here to engage them. Right? He's not insulted. He's, he's like, what things? He invites them to recount what has happened. And this is where I would argue they actually do a great job. Jesus is a mighty prophet in word and deed. Now, we, we might quibble a tiny bit and say he's, he's actually the prophet. He is the prophet that all of the prophecies were longing for. He is the new and greater Moses. He is the prophet that so much of God's word in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, was longing for. But they're right. He did mighty works, and it's not just mighty works, right? They're not just disciples that were like, look at these incredible things he's doing. He's mighty, not just in deed, but also in word, right? 
they are convinced, they were convinced that Jesus was a mighty prophet from God. And they're also right, verse 20, about how things got sideways, right? Our, our chief priests and rulers, the very ones who should have been excited and su- supporting a prophet of God, delivered him over to be crucified, right? But verse 21 is where the hang-up happens. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. So thus far, they've gotten most of the facts and details correct. And we might look at this comment in verse 21 and say, well, maybe it's just the issue of the resurrection. Maybe that's what's keeping them. One, Jesus has kept himself from being recognized up to this point. Uh, If it's just the issue of the resurrection, it already feels a little strange that Jesus hasn't revealed himself. And then they go on to say, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. They have some knowledge that something was supposed to happen on the third day. And then moreover, verse 22 We have this report from these women, and it amazed us. Now, that word that Luke uses for amazed can often be astonishment to the point of disbelief, right? So there's there's skepticism in this part of the story for them, right? They, They went, and they went early in the morning. They didn't find his body. They came back saying they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of us went to the tomb and confirmed it was just as they said, but him they did not see. Him they did not see. Um, they have so many of the details correct. And based on Jesus' response to them in just a moment, um, but also what they've already said, their issue isn't actually the facts of the case. It isn't if I could just have a little more evidence. Um, Jesus just doesn't fit. A dying Savior doesn't fit. Um, they, in all likelihood, probably had similar ideas to, to many in that, that time, in that first century culture, in that Jewish context, of being freed from Roman oppression, um, of, of going into a period of, of enlightenment where the religious leaders and, and those, especially the Pharisees, that had held true to God's word and weren't trying to water it down, um, that, that they and their religious leaders would return to a true and pure religion under this leader, this Messiah, and be freed from these evil powers that were forcing them to do things against their faith and belief. Um, they've seen the game, but they're keeping the score a different way. They have no category for a Savior who dies at the hands of their leaders, who's betrayed, who suffers. Um, and before we go further on in the, the passage, I, I think Luke spends a lot of time in this opening conversation, I think, trying to show us how right they are about what happened, and yet still how wrong they are how much struggle there is still in their, their, their belief or their failure to believe, right? And Jesus makes that even clearer when he says in verse 25, of foolish ones and slow apart to believe all that the prophets have said. Theirs is an issue of failing to believe God's word. And I think part of the issue for them is they can't fit Jesus in. This isn't what a savior should look like. Now, it's a, uh, a somewhat blasphemous scene from a movie, a comedy, but the uh, dinner prayer in Talladega Nights where everyone starts fighting over praying to what Jesus they like, you know, baby Jesus, other versions of Jesus. Um, a lot of times in comedy, though, it's, it hits because there's some truth behind it, right? Um, now, this is true for much of Christian history, like people arguing over who Jesus actually was and trying to use him for their different movements and ideas. But especially for us as Americans, I think that, that scene is so absurd 
but it works so well because as, as individuals, we love oftentimes to, to make Jesus the Jesus we want him to be. Um, we have an idea of what the Savior should look like. We have an idea of what the real problems in the world are, and if these problems would just be fixed, then everything would be great. Um, for some of us, our Jesus might we tend to be overly political, our idea of a Savior. Uh, we might actually resonate a lot with the disciples of that day, thinking, man, there's a lot of oppression and corruption and injustice in the world. Uh, a Savior would have to come in and immediately fix those things. Uh, for others, it, it might be more less, less political and more just the, the social mouths, the social goals that we think need to be addressed. Um, for others, our Savior is just a Savior who approves of us as long as we do a good job at work. Uh, a Savior who just cares about us being good uh, mothers and fathers and having a family that, that is cohesive and loves each other. Um, it's easy for us to have a lot of different visions about what a Savior should look like, to end up looking like what we think the good life should look like, what we think a fixed world would look like, or what we think matters for us. And eventually, if that's the case, death and suffering and resurrection, it doesn't fit. It seems brutal. It seems unnecessary. Uh, and we see this happening at times, even in Christian history, where once a move is made far enough in one direction as to what a Savior should be, uh, a lot of times, yeah, the death and resurrection, we'll just stop talking about that. <laughs> that's, that's uncomfortable. Um, but I think the hard thing for us, the hard thing for me at least, is that, that when I am struggling to see Jesus and all of his goodness and beauty, am I willing to not just attack other people's false visions of what a Savior should look like, but am I willing to ask hard questions about my own heart? Uh, you know, it, for me, the, the stuff about family and just like things going well at home can a lot of times be the way that I try and justify myself and think, you know what, if, if these things are going well, then surely God is for me. Um, and if you listen closely, right, there's no need for death and resurrection with that vision of a Savior. There's just need for everyone to be fairly happy at home and nothing really bad to be happening. <laughs> um, where is our doubt coming from? Are we willing to ask hard questions of ourselves? And, and whenever we ask hard questions of ourselves, this is a great time to be in community. It's really hard to ask questions of yourself, especially blind spots, without someone else who knows you and loves you coming alongside you and being like, well, actually, you know, this is, this is maybe what I see happening here. Um, and so this is an invitation for us to go back to those places, uh, places within this church, community you know that loves you and cares about you, and to have some of these, these conversations. This is why Bible studies and small groups are so helpful, um, because we don't have it all together. We are not our own saviors, and, and oftentimes, this is where Jesus meets us. That's what I love about this story, right? Jesus meets these disciples precisely in this moment. I'm going to keep coming back to that, right? He doesn't throw his hands up in the air because, man, y'all had all this, you saw all these things, and you're still not getting it. Um, Jesus is excited to meet them where they are. He's willing to even conceal his identity from them so he can have this extended conversation. So there's an invitation in this passage for us to repent of our misconceptions, but it's not just so that then we can beat ourselves up and maybe then God will like us. That's not the gospel. It's repentance so that there's room to actually see the good news of the Savior we, we actually need. Um, if you look at verses 25 to 27, Jesus is direct. Jesus is pretty blunt with them. Um, 
Also, this is another part in the passage that, that always kind of makes me chuckle. Right? He's concealed his identity. So this isn't Jesus confronting them and saying, oh, foolish ones of slow heart. This is just a random dude on the road. <laughs> I, would, I would have been like, whoa, whoa. You said you didn't even know what was going on. Now you're, <laughs> now you're like, man. Uh, but Jesus loves them enough to like, address this. Right? He's not like, oh, yeah, that's, that's hard. That must be so hard for you. Um, I don't want to say any hard things right now. No, he's like foolish and slow of heart to believe. We need to have a Bible study. All right, this is another moment in the passage where our temptation would be to say, well, now that he's uncovered their problem, now he can say, yes, I actually am risen. Like the resurrection fixes all of this. But it, it according to Jesus, doesn't. He knows that there's something else happening in their heart. They need to understand some of the why, right? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things before entering into his glory? Right? For you to understand this is good news, we need to have a Bible study. You need to see how everything is actually pointing to Jesus. Um, in other words, he doesn't just go back to the highlight reel and say, well, here's a, some information you missed, or here's the key information you needed. Ta-da, I'm alive. Um, but let's go back to the, the rule book and understand what the purpose of this actually was. Right, the Bible is this grand story that centers on Jesus. And when there's rules, a lot of times those rules are meant to show us that we need a Savior. <laughs> they can deal with our sin and our failures and our rebellion. A lot of times when there's heroes, those heroes themselves are full of sin and flaws and murder, <laughs> just to be really specific, and show that, that they, they could not fix this problem, right? From the very beginning of the story, there's this promise that I will be your God and you will be my people. And yet we're wondering, as, as Adam and Eve leave the garden, well, if sin separates us from God, how can that be true? And it's longing over and over, who is going to fix this problem? Who is going to bridge this gap? And without that, the, it's hard to see the good news as good news. Um, without that, we shouldn't expect to... For our neighbors who don't want anything to do with Christianity, just be like, oh, yeah, Savior, that's great, right? Um, imagine trying to explain it. This, I know this is going to sound really foreign to some of the younger people in here. Um, imagine trying to explain what a smartphone is to someone that has no concept of email, social media, or even the Internet. Um, and I remember getting a hand-me-down BlackBerry. It was my first smartphone, which was not very smart. And if you're a big fan of BlackBerry, I'm sorry. That's, just, that's a bad take. Um, but I remember scrolling the little ball and trying to open up the email as our first son was being born because I needed to check email because it was the end of seminary. I needed to find a job. And I was like, man, this thing, this is amazing, <laughs> right? In hindsight, I'm like, that thing was horrible. But at the time, I was like, this is amazing. I'm checking email. We lived in this little farmhouse that didn't have internet. And I was like, man, while we're at the hospital, I got to gotta check some, some emails. Um, it was amazing, right? But, but without those, like, knowledge of the things that actually make it smart or useful or helpful, if you just handed that to someone that was like, a phone is for calling people, it, it wouldn't seem like that good of news or that big a deal. And sometimes I think we do that to others. We just hand them, hey, Jesus died for you. And expect them to be like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Uh, when they're like, what? Why? What? A, a, a dirty Jewish man 2,000 years ago was, was, crucif was tortured to death for me. Okay. Uh, how is that good news? What does that do with my life right now? In Colorado, um, and, and, and it's it's not to say that right God doesn't break through sometimes with the simplest of messages. 
We can think of that, that thief on the cross that was just like, man, I know I deserve this and this guy doesn't. Remember me when you go in your kingdom. Um, and Jesus graciously is like, you will be with me there today. Um, but so often, right, we need to see why Jesus is good news. And a lot of times that why is at times offensive to us. It breaks through our view of the world and often says that some of the things that you call good are actually bad. Um, some of the things that you think are bad actually aren't. But despite all of that brokenness and that rebellion, I love you. And I want you to see those things so that you can feel my embrace. Um, and I hope you don't hear me saying the wrong thing this morning. Um, I am not saying that you have to have lots of knowledge. You have to pass some sort of theology quiz for Jesus to be your Savior. Um, it's just simple, childlike, faith alone, and Christ alone, my grace alone. Um, but so often that simple, childlike faith, it takes root and nourishes as God's word speaks to us in a way that, that we cannot speak to ourselves. As, as God's spirit uses his word to show us the corruption of our hearts and our need for a savior who knows that corruption and willingly takes it upon himself. He says, I will bear this so that you can be with me, so that I can be your God, and you can be my people. Um, and this, that's, that's why we run to Jesus in his word. If you, once again, if you're here this morning and you're just visiting, that's, that's amazing. Uh, you probably know, like, there's a lot of word in these services. We're going to read the Bible, we're going to sing the Bible, we're going to pray the Bible. Um, and then someone at some point might invite you to come study the Bible some more. And we, we do all this because we really believe that God meets us in his word and offers us something that, that we could not offer you, offer ourselves in Jesus. And that he oftentimes doesn't look much like the versions of him that the world props up. Unfortunately, a lot of times he doesn't look like the versions of him that sometimes our lives offer to you. And we need to repent of that. Um, and yet Jesus graciously pursues us. And he doesn't just want us to know some things about him. My, my final thing I want us to see in this passage is that believing in the Jesus that God's word offers to us ultimately means heart change. Not just uh, signing off on some principles and ideas, but it means heart change. Um, because they have this wonderful Bible study, the Bible study we all wish we could have been a part of. We're like, Luke, you gave us so many details about their doubts. Could we just get a little bit of that Bible study? No, no, we don't get much about it. But I love this, right? Like At this point, we're like, okay, Jesus surely is done with them, but he's not. Verse 28, they drew near to the village, which they were going. And I love this. He acted as if he was going further. Jesus is like, I'm not done with you. We need to spend some more time together. This thing is going to end over fellowship over a meal. Um, and so Jesus, once again, I feel like a little bit tongue-in-cheek, acts like he's going further so that they implore him to stay. And it's not until he's with them at table and he breaks bread and blesses it and broke it and gives it to them. It's the same language Luke uses of the feeding of the 5,000. So perhaps it's in that moment that Jesus chooses to reveal, right, that he is mighty in word and deed, as they already knew. Um, but he reveals himself and their eyes are opened and what is their response? This is so beautiful. Because um, there's a lot of responses. Your response, my response might have been, oh my goodness, Jesus is alive, and he just vanished. <laughs> like, very reasonable response. <laughs> a lot of us might have responded that way. 
But their response is, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? In other words, what a Bible study. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Jesus was so faithful to meet them where they are, and he knew that their issue involved not just the evidence of his resurrection, but believing in God's word about the Savior they actually need. That when he finally reveals himself in fellowship with them, they're, they're, they can't get off of the fact that their hearts burned within them as he opened the scriptures to them. Um, and, and, and you might be like, okay, so their hearts burned, that's great. But notice that it, it does result in real change. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling, but these people that at the beginning of the passage we said were fleeing in doubt and in fear are now coming back to Jesus or coming back to Jesus' followers, right? They, they have left this place that they've said is not safe for them, which is still not safe for them. Jesus is alive. The people that murdered him are still there. But now the people that were full of doubt and fear, that were kind of sarcastic and a little bit prickly at this stranger on the road asking them what had happened, are now like we, they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, verse 33. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. They told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Their hearts were transformed because Jesus did not stop pursuing them. Jesus did not stop pursuing them. Um, one of the things that it means to follow Jesus, to believe in him, is to believe that Jesus does not stop pursuing his people. And that a lot of times, the very place that Jesus shows up most often is in those moments of doubt and fear and struggle and suffering, those places that he has been, those places that he can relate to as a Savior who has gone to those places, um, and that he's not put off by our, our doubts. He doesn't throw his hands up and say, nope, 99th time you've said that or done that, I'm out. Uh, You still don't get it. You still don't connect the dots. You still think this is how it's supposed to work. That's not what he does. He keeps pursuing them. He keeps following them. He wants them to see the beauty of a Savior who not only had to suffer and die before he entered into his glory, but did all that for them so that he could be with them. Right? And so one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is not just, do you know these things about Jesus? But have you actually seen the beauty and goodness of Jesus? Has your heart been taken captive? Um, And that's not just a, has this ever once happened for you? Although that certainly is a great place to start, (laughs) right? But are we returning to that fount? Is Jesus recaptivating our hearts? Are we going to his word and seeing more and more the beauty and depth and goodness of Jesus? Because if we are, then we'll be able to find ourselves in places like, like Paul did, where he could, towards the end of his ministry, say things like, I have fought the good race. <laughs> right? Like, I've seen the fruit that Jesus has been producing in my life, and then at the same time, I'm the chief of sinners. Right? Like, God's grace is actually bigger than I thought it was when I first started. God's goodness is bigger. God is actually doing real things in me. God is faithful. God is producing fruit like he promised he would. And yet, man... His grace is even bigger than I first thought it was. Those are the words of someone who's, who's not just been captive once to the beauty and goodness of Jesus, but keeps going back to that well 
as God through his word grows that and nourishes that. Um, as we wrap up our time together in this passage, I just want to reiterate that believing in Jesus as Savior means giving up on our own ideas of what a Savior should look like. And I know I said this earlier, but at times that's probably going to be a little bit offensive to us. That's going to insult us and our ideas of what, what the good life should look like. Um, but Jesus loved us too much to fulfill our plan of salvation, <laughs> which is wonderful, wonderful news the more we, we, we see ourselves as we actually are. For some of us, other views of Jesus have kept us from believing or following him. And if you're one of those people here this morning that, that maybe hears some of these things and says, this doesn't sound much like the Jesus I've heard about, that I've seen in media, um, that I've experienced maybe in another situation where there was also abuse and neglect, then I would just invite you to keep, keep asking questions, um, keep coming and, and, and tasting and seeing. Um, I'm sure there's lots of people here that would love to have more conversations with you. Um, if you're someone who has grown up and you've read this story many times and you know it well, and yet the gospel has grown stale, it feels repetitive, it feels the same, um, doubts feel stronger somehow, this Jesus loves you and pursues you. And he's not turned off by your doubts. Um, he's not driven away by your fears. He's a savior who pursues us not in spite of, but often in the midst of these doubts and struggles. Um, regardless of where you've been, where you are on that, that spectrum I kind of just laid out, my hope is that your hearts would burn within you, that you would see a Jesus, a savior who loves you, and is willing to deal with things that, that you and I can't deal with so that he can be with you. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, um, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your, your goodness to us in pursuing us and loving us. Um, thank you that you didn't throw up your hands in pursuing my own heart, um, and that you still don't throw up your hands in frustration, uh, but you are a God who pursues the lost, the weary. Uh, you do not grow weary in your pursuit of us and all of our rebellion. And we thank you for that. And we lift up this time together and ask that you would use your word not only to draw our hearts to you, but like the disciples in the story, that, that our, our burning hearts would be turned towards the world, that we would be excited anew about ways we can love our neighbors and serve those around us, and proclaim your good news um, in earnestness um, as those who also deeply need your grace and your forgiveness. Um, Father, you are good and faithful, and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Savior you sent. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm excited. Uh